Hello and welcome to the Friday, week four of the NFL season preview episode of the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis, and I am certainly jacked up for football this weekend. A little bit more than usual. Yes, the college slate is helping me get up for this weekend a little bit more than I typically would. The NFL schedule is a little bit weaker than the college one. The college one features three matchups between ranked teams, teams that have legitimate aspirations at the college football playoff. There are interesting games. The NFC West games are definitely interesting, the two head-to-head matchups in the NFC West. But other than those two, the only other game that really interests me from a purely X's and O's standpoint is Chargers-Raiders, and that's not till Monday Night Football. Of course, the driving story that SportsCenter and all the other talking head programs are going to talk about nonstop until kickoff is Tom Brady's return to New England as a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against his former team. You saw the Adelties. NBC was not pulling any punches. Whoever is in charge of their production, uh, NBC knows what they're doing. There's a reason Sunday Night Football is the highest rated show on television every single year. It is that damn good, and they understand that production value. You always hear me talk about why Sunday Night Football matter so much because they make it feel like a big deal every single game on sunday night football even if the opponent the game itself isn't great there's added weight to it everything feels like a bigger deal on sunday night because it's the only game on during that window you've got al michaels you've got the nbc fanfare and the highest production value of any of the major networks when it comes to covering football so we'll talk go through all the games we'll give a couple picks do our best Mike Francesa where they pay for play imitation that kind of thing got some new drops got some fun stuff for you guys but before we get to today's show do have to remind everyone to please help support the show first foremost subscribe to the show whatever podcasting platform you like to use Apple Podcasts Spotify SoundCloud Stitcher Google Play all the major podcasting platforms we are represented there once you are subscribed Interact with us on social media. Got to start putting more stuff out on there, but got a graphics card out there today with the big games for college football. Just a little bit something more to get interactions, that kind of stuff. So if you see us out there in the wild on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, wherever, throw us a share, a retweet, a like, a whatever. Send it to someone else. Help us grow the show one person at a time. That's how we're growing in the early stages here. Next, if... You are an Apple podcast user because Apple controls the universe. Go to our show's page. Scroll past our recent episodes. There are going to be five clear purple stars at the bottom. You're going to want to hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says, Write a review. If you are so inclined, I would greatly appreciate a written review. Please, please, please. That helps me out immensely. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for me to show this to potential employers or advertisers that we're getting somewhere that we're gaining traction that people care about the show that is what people want to see out there in the real world god i am excited for football it's just going to be one of those weekends i'll leave the tv to use the bathroom to get another drink to get my takeout other than that we're going to be busy we got work to do I will see you guys on the other side of these drops, went out, did a little cultivating, some brainstorming, some good ideas. 
for a Friday Picks episode. So I'll see you guys in one sec. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Scared money don't make money, you know. <laughs> and that's going to end, end the game. And you know why I'm laughing, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> of course you do. There are some people happy, some not so right. happy. And there are some like going, I can't believe what just happened. Where they play for pay. And with that, we will get on into it. Damn, am I? Oh, Anthony Rizzo, he got one? Nah, just to the track. Yes, like I said yesterday when I started recording, I am also watching the Yankees-Jays game, and I have Thursday Night Football over my other shoulder as I am recording here to keep apprised of any important events while I am in the course of recording this episode. So, we'll start really quickly. I think we'll start with best games, and we'll go from there. So, in my opinion, the best game of the entire week is on Monday Night Football, the Las Vegas Raiders going to SoFi Stadium to play the Los Angeles Chargers. That stadium is going to be 80% Raider fans who haven't been to a Raider game since the Raiders were in Los Angeles and Marcus Allen was on the team when Al Davis was still patrolling the sidelines and drafting four five four excuse me four fives. Al Davis just yelled and threw something at me from up above for saying four five. Four three wide receivers purely just because they ran four threes. This will be a compelling X's and O's matchup personnel-wise. The Raiders' offense has really come into its own. John Gruden finally has the offense he envisioned when he drafted Henry Ruggs, when he drafted Brian Edwards, to have the traditional X receiver in Brian Edwards, to have Waller controlling the middle of the field, to have Hunter Renfro as his go-to third-down wide receiver, with Henry Ruggs as his take-off-the-top-defense, take-the-top-off-the-defense guy. And you understand why Gruden was so inclined to take these guys where he did even though they might have been reaches they still are trying to work that offensive line out the Raider defense under Gus Bradley has played pretty well they run in and they got the Gus Bradley all-stars they brought in KJ Wright brought in Yannick Ngakwe a bunch of guys who played for Bradley prior and it's worked to some degree granted the Raiders have not played the most amazing offenses so far but they've taken care of their business and that's all you can ever ask of a team The Chargers, they went into Kansas City last week as a dog. They won as a road dog in as hostile an environment as there is in the NFL. Justin Herbert made every single throw you could possibly ask of him. Aside from that one throw up the left sideline, I only vividly remember this because I was re-watching highlights of the game to kind of re-jog my memory about specific things, but... He threw a jump ball. It was a little short. If he had thrown it a little bit further, it would have been an easy touchdown. Either way, the ball did hit his receiver on the hands. The receiver just didn't catch it. But if Herbert got a little bit more under it, it would have went into the back of the end zone and the defender wouldn't have even had a chance. It wouldn't have been a contested ball. Either way, ball hit receiver on the hands. You want that. I really think this is a great, great measuring stick game for the Raiders to see if they're actually for real. Because we've seen John Gruden against good coaches kind of wilt and struggle to keep up with the flow of the game, punt in situations where he should be going for it and that kind of thing. But at the same time, we've seen the Raiders this season be a bit more aggressive, taking advantage of their positional matchups and their, um, excuse me, taking advantage of their matchups where they have size and Waller or speed and rugs and really using that to their advantage in a way they hadn't the previous two years. 
If I I'm not going to be betting this game unless tomorrow goes particularly well, uh, unless Sunday goes particularly well, and I have a little bit extra money to play with. But I don't have a pick in Raiders Chargers, but I do think that is the best game of the weekend. The Chargers are a three point home favorite for some reason, even though it's going to be 80-90% Raider fans at that game. Next, to me, I think Arizona-Los Angeles Rams is probably the second best game. If you wanted to argue San uh, Francisco-Seattle, I wouldn't be opposed. But to me, I think the Rams and Cardinals are two teams who think they're in the same place, when in reality, I think only the Rams are the team in that place. The Cardinals took a while to put away Jacksonville. It wasn't until they intercepted Trevor Lawrence that that game really got out of hand. They had two defensive touchdowns, which, of course, that's great. If you had Arizona last week as a 7.5-point favorite, they won by 12. If it weren't for those defensive touchdowns, that offense kind of had a hard time moving the ball. It wasn't the prettiest thing. Cliff Kingsbury does get a little bit too cute with his offense, but... Assuming Rondell Moore is healthy and back, assuming New Hopkins is good to go, AJ Green's good to go, Christian Kirk had a nice game last week. They got all the skill in the world. Their defense has played pretty well so far, and that's been one of the real problems, and their offensive line is still pretty bad. They need to iron out exactly what type of offense they want to be. We've seen Kingsbury get away from things that have worked purely for the sake of trying to change things up in his previous stints here, and I'll be fair, I, I've been skeptical of Kingsbury for a while now. He has tinkered with his offense as time has gone on, but his game management does leave a lot to be desired, and that's one of the real that's one of the real tangible ways we as outsiders, as people in sports media or as fans can understand is just simple game management things. When to use our timeouts, when to call what type of plays, when to go for fourth and short, when to punt. All of those kinds of things are tangible ways we are able to evaluate coaches that we're not, but in other ways where we're not at practice during the week, so we don't know what they're emphasizing. We don't know the behind-the-scenes things, but when we see them in-game, those are fair game things we can evaluate them on. So we need to see Cliff do better in those kinds of situations, especially in a game like this. Especially in a game like this. One thing... I will note here is since Klingsbury has been in Arizona and McVay has been with the Rams, the Cardinals have not beaten the Rams. I do think Sean McVay is a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. Just flat out, I think he is a better coach. It is a three-point spread. Yes, this game is in L.A., and we heard it last week for the game against Tampa. That stadium can get kind of loud, which is weird, considering you don't really think of L.A. having a lot of Rams fans. Then you remember the Rams did used to be the L.A. Rams before they went to St. Louis when Eric Dickerson was there way, way back in the day. So, I'd lean the Rams. If that number gets a little bit closer to Arizona, it is four and a half. At the beginning of the week on Monday for the look-ahead lines, it was six. It's at four and a half for L.A. now, so there is Cardinals money coming in. If that line gets to four or even three and a half, I think I'm just going to suck it up and I'm going to bet the Rams outright because I think I think Cliff's a better coach. Excuse me. I think McVay is a better coach than Cliff. So in a game that likely will be a one-score game, I'm going to go with the good coach. The other NFC West game, Seattle-San Francisco. This isn't a loser-leaves-town match because San Francisco, worst case, they'd be 2-2. Two and two. But for Seattle... Seattle goes to 1-3 with this divisional schedule. Seattle's going to have a steep uphill climb, and that that is what's going to make this game interesting. 
for a few reasons. Number one, these teams are good at opposite things. Seattle prides itself on being good at defense. Pete Carroll still thinks he has the Legion of Boom. He still thinks that Jamal Adams by himself is a defense. I think he's probably gotten the memo by now based on how the games against Tennessee and Minnesota went that he does not have a good defense and he's going to have to let Russell Wilson throw 55 times a game if he wants to win this year. But again, this is Pete Carroll who is painfully stubborn and way too committed to playing football like it's 2013. I get it, Pete. You did win a Super Bowl with the Legion of Boom. You don't have the Legion of Boom anymore. You can't keep expecting your defense to bail you out when your best defensive player is a box safety. The pass rush is not fearsome. You don't have Richard Sherman. You don't have Richard Sherman and Brandon Browner anymore. You don't have Cam Chancellor. You don't have Earl Thomas. Jamal Adams wishes he was Earl Thomas or Cam Chancellor. Let's just be frank here. San Francisco has not run the ball as well as San Francisco traditionally has. The part of that is the turmoil, the injuries in that running back room. Trey Sermon did not look particularly good last week coming off of injury. They've had to Michael Hasty. They've had Elijah Moore, Jeff Wilson injured. They've run through a lot of guys in that running back room already, and they are a zone run play action team. Their passing game is predicated on the running game working, so if they are unable to get the running game going, their passing game will struggle to some degree because the other team will just not respect the play action as much. And granted, I know all the time on the show I say you don't have to run the ball for play action to be effective. That's generally true statistically, but if you are a team like San Francisco whose quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to make off-schedule plays, who's not going to be able to make dynamic plays, extend plays... The defense will stop respecting the run and force you to throw. And when you force Jimmy to throw more than 25, 30 times in a game, you're not going to win if you're San Francisco. And I say that as maybe the biggest Kyle Shanahan guy on the internet. And I know I say that every single time I talk about Kyle Shanahan, but it's true. I genuinely think he might be the best play call, offensive play caller in all of football and one of the best, one of the five, six best head coaches in the entire league, even though he only has the one playoff run where he made the Super Bowl to show for it. This is a good opportunity for San Francisco to figure out their running game. I would like to see Trent Williams, their left tackle, throw another defensive player out of the club like he did last week on Green Bay, where he just threw a defensive back to the ground as someone was running behind him. I, yeah, on the Trey Lance play, on the QB sweep to the left where Trey Lance ran, Trent Williams just threw a guy like he, like it was a college kid getting thrown out of the bar. I'd like to see Trent Williams do that again. I think San Francisco is probably the more well-rounded team. Their defense is pretty good. I do think they need to figure out their pass rush. Nick Bosa by himself is not enough. Javon Kinlaw, not as much of an impact up the middle. Solomon Thomas, not as much of an impact. DeForest Buckner, of course, is an Indianapolis Colt now. That Super Bowl pass rush that was absolutely smothering, that could take over a game, is not. it's just not a thing. And they've lost two starting corners already, so their secondary is a little bit light. This game probably ends up higher scoring than you would expect, considering these two teams' brands and their reputation for having good defenses. I would expect this game to be somewhere in the mid-20s, maybe low-30s. I expect this game to be back and forth. This is a good opportunity good opportunity for San Francisco to say, yeah, we lost to Green Bay, but... Come on, we're, we're better than Seattle. And for Seattle, this is your kitchen sink game. If you get to 1-3 and three in this division and you only have 13 games left, you're going to have to rattle off, you know, 
an eight and five, nine and six, you're gonna have to rattle off a really good run if you lose this to have a chance. And you just don't want to have to have that perfect a margin for error. That is what's difficult to factor here is every single game you lose, if you're expected to make the playoffs, your margin for error minimizes. You can afford fewer mistakes throughout the course of an entire season. And that's why you want to have the most replicable game plan and most replicable style of play as possible so that your margin for error is bigger. Seattle's margin of error is shrinking with every single second and 10 run. That is what I will say about that game. If that number stays at three, I probably will bet San Francisco. That's not one of my picks for the game, but full home field. Those games have come down to a field goal more than once, the Seattle-San Francisco games with Kyle in San Francisco. So leaning San Francisco, but no pick for me there. Carolina-Dallas. Okay, Carolina is 3-0. and I, You can only beat who's on your schedule. I know. They've beaten the Jets. They've beaten New Orleans. And they beat Davis Mills on Thursday Night Football. That is not exactly the SEC East. Okay? That is not exactly the most difficult run of games imaginable for a team. Granted, Carolina has played pretty good defense. They're not going to have Christian McCaffrey. It is a Chuba Hubbard week. If you remember Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State, he's going to be entertaining to watch. I'd like to see... What Carolina does in terms of their game plan without McCaffrey as the viable checkdown guy, because that really helped Sam Darnold out the first two games before McCaffrey pulled his hamstring on Thursday Night Football, having a reliable running back that could make plays when you check the ball down to him. And Dallas is coming off a thorough thumping they gave to Philadelphia. And granted, Philadelphia probably isn't that good. I may have just overreacted to week one against Atlanta. Dallas looks like they're going to be able to name their score most weeks and move the ball. And I know it's only been a couple weeks, but the defense is not atrocious. Yes, they are turnover dependent, which is not actually the sign of a good defense. If you are turnover dependent defense, as soon as those turnovers dry up, you're going to have a really hard time stopping people. But if Trayvon Diggs wants to keep jumping routes and intercepting balls and taking them to the house, Dallas will be fine. I like Dallas in this game. Dallas laying four and a half points as the home favorite. I think that is a little bit high. I'm not pick. This is not one of my picks. I'm going to, I will make clear what my picks are at the end. Don't worry. I promise. Dallas should handle business here. Like I said it on last Friday's episode, talking about them against Philadelphia. Dallas is a better football team than Carolina. They should be able to move the ball on offense and be able to make just enough plays on defense. Sam Darnold has not had to play a real game without Christian McCaffrey yet. No disrespect to David Culley and the Houston Texans and Davis Mills, but come on now. Let's be honest here. Nobody is scared of Davis Mills and the Houston Texans. So Carolina, first real measuring stick game for them here. How are you going to hold up against a team that's probably going to win its division and go to the playoffs? And if Carolina wins this game, they will be firmly in the mix to get a wild card purely based on math. If you are 4-0 after four weeks in a 17-game season, you can start affording to mess up a little bit. You can go 7-5? 7-6? That's still 11 wins. 
If you start the year 4-0 in a 17-game season the rest of the way, you can afford to go close to 500 if you start out the year 4-0. That is a good thing if you are Carolina. You still have divisional games where you have an opportunity to play Atlanta twice, which they've yet to do, which they should be able to win two both games against Atlanta. Right there, that should be five wins. That should be four wins. What they already have, the three they already have, you should split, if not take both from Atlanta. Right there, that's five. You win this game against Dallas, you're already at six. The math gets really, really good for you if you're Carolina, if you can win this game. Dallas, I think Dallas has got this. Dallas is easily the best team in the NFC East, like I said, in the preseason. I never totally bought the Washington football team hype dependent on Ryan Fitzpatrick and the defense being as good as it was last year because defense does not translate year to year, as I often tell all my friends and no one ever listens to me. But, hey, what do I know? Speaking of Davis Mills, I'm purely entertained in this game to see how many points the Buffalo Bills can beat Houston and Davis Mills by. The number opened, opened at 17.5. It is down to 15.5, which is interesting I think Buffalo easily covers 15 and a half. I think Buffalo will be able to name their score on offense when they want to take the starters out. This will be an SEC kind of game. This will be like Alabama-Vanderbilt, where after the half, maybe you send Josh Allen out there for another series or two. But this might be a Jake Fromm game or um, a Mitch Trubisky game if you're Buffalo because Houston is not good at anything, really. Yes, they won a game week one against a Jacksonville team that has absolutely no pulse. But that's not really saying much. I think this is easily, easily the biggest blowout of the week. I think Buffalo is going to be in the 40s. We saw what they did to that Washington defense, which actually has some semblance of a pass rush, even though it didn't get home. Buffalo, Josh Allen. This is where the Josh Allen MVP discussion starts up again after... A bad week one against Pittsburgh, a meh week two, and then a good week three, good week four. And then it'll be like Peter Schrager being like, did everyone forget how good Josh Allen was last year? That that kind of dialogue is what we're going to be hearing on Monday because Josh Allen's going to throw for another like four or five touchdowns and run for another one. Have like 300-something yards passing, maybe a fumble or a pick. But Josh Allen will probably end up being QB1 in fantasy this week. Not a whole lot to say on that game. Buffalo should thrash them, and it'll be very entertaining to see by how much they can thrash them. So, next. In terms of entertainment, Baltimore-Denver is not terrible. Part of the late afternoon window, considering it is a smaller afternoon window where there is only four games on at 4 o'clock, but I think this is where we get to see if Denver is actually good or not. Denver has played the two New York teams and Jacksonville. The Ravens might be a bit dinged up, not the healthiest team in the world. They did barely beat Detroit. It took Justin Tucker setting the NFL record for longest field goal for the Ravens to win against Detroit, but they're going to get Rashad Bateman back healthy. Hollywood Brown probably won't drop two touchdowns in consecutive weeks. If he does, he's getting cut from my fantasy team on principle, but I think this is a good spot for Baltimore. Yes, they are going across the country. Yes, Denver has a pretty good defense. But Baltimore is not either New York team or Jacksonville. 
Baltimore's going to be able to do some things on offense that those teams weren't. They are just going to tell Lamar, all right, get this for, this first down on third and four. All right, it's fourth and one. We're going to go for it. Joe Judge was not letting Daniel Jones go for fourth and ones because, oh, wait, he's going to fumble the ball like he did against Denver anyway. And it's why being passive isn't worth it. If you're going to be passive, you can still commit turnovers while being passive. You're better off trying to be aggressive, which is what Baltimore's going to do. And Denver is a one-point favorite at home. I will be betting Baltimore. That is one of my picks, and I'll do it at the end officially. Baltimore is one of my picks for the week. Purely based on Denver's not really good. They can beat who's in front of them, and Teddy's not going to turn the ball over unless you force him to. But come on, man. This is Baltimore. Baltimore could still win their division. Denver's a nice story, but come on now. They haven't beaten anybody. They ain't play nobody, Paul. Oh, man. I I get frustrated with shit like this because that line just doesn't make sense, and it makes me worried that why Denver's a one-point favorite. Yes, I understand Baltimore has to go west, but still. still. Next on the list, get right game for the Chiefs coming off of two straight losses, losing to the Ravens on Sunday Night Football and then losing to the Chargers. Kansas City's going to be mad. Uh, I imagine they're going to have Mahomes cut down on the flashy bullshit and just try and win this game. And still don't know if Andy Reid is going to be coaching or not. He did leave the game Sunday against the Chargers when the game was over. He left the stadium, went to the hospital, wasn't feeling well. So don't know if Andy Reid's going to be coaching the game or not. If Eric Bieniemy or Steve Spagnuolo is in charge, that might be an issue for game management reasons. But I imagine Patrick Mahomes will have pretty much as much leeway as he needs to do what he wants on offense. And Philadelphia didn't stop Dallas. And Kansas City's offense is a lot better than Dallas's. Sure, Philly will make adjustments. I imagine they'll be able to score to some degree because Kansas City's defense has been so bad this year. They've gotten burned a lot on the deep ball. They've been missing tackles. Unless Kansas City's getting turnovers, they haven't really been getting stops. They've been conceding a lot of points. That defense has been pretty bad, just outright bad. Aside from Tyron Matthew, no one really noticeable on that defense. Chris Jones, I forget, exists because he hasn't really made an impact so far. That one safety, Reed Sorensen, always ends up getting cooked because he's out of position and he's slow. Yet somehow he's always getting dropped into coverage. None of their corners really scare you. Unless they can get creative with their defense, I think this will be this will be the Jalen Hurts get right game where he'll have a good fantasy day even though they end up losing by 10 points. The spread started at 5.5. It's up to 7 for Kansas City on the road coming east from the central time zone. So we'll see. I think this is a clearly a get-right game for Kansas City, and I think this is the game where Philly is like, well, fuck, I guess we're not actually as good as we played in Week 1. That is the real dilemma if you're Philly, because you played week good Week 1 against the um, Falcons, but you hung around with the 49ers, but you never put the ball in the, red zone, in the end zone. Dallas, you scored one offensive touchdown before... You scored one touchdown before the game was over, which was the Dak Prescott fumble in the end zone, and then you scored a garbage-time touchdown. So, Philly, 
Should have an opportunity to score some points, be viable for fantasy purposes. Might not be bad to look at some Eagles props there because the Chiefs defense is so bad. But if the Chiefs don't win this game, you're sitting at 1-3. and three. It, It's that simple if you are the Chiefs. You are sitting at 1-3 and three and probably the best division in the league, if not the second best division in the league. Next up, moving right along here. Cleveland, Minnesota has the potential to be pretty spicy. The Vikings are two-and-a-half-point home underdogs to the Browns, which sounds crazy when you think about it. Then you remember the Browns are actually pretty good, but Minnesota might not be terrible. Remember, there are two losses, a missed field goal against the Cardinals, and a fumble in overtime against Joe Burrow week one away from being 3-0. and And I know if blah, 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 woulda, coulda, shoulda, all that shit, but Minnesota's moving the ball on offense pretty much at will. Cousins, eight touchdowns, no picks, 850-something yards. They've got all the weapons for that offense to be viable, even if Dalvin Cook doesn't go. Alexander Madison last week against Seattle showed you just how good he is as a backup running back. And Cleveland took care of business against the Bears. They did not really move the ball a ton, but the Bears' defense is decent, even though Khalil Mack did leave the portion of that game for a while. And they just kept getting the ball, but Cleveland, for some reason, just couldn't punch it in for whatever. And, yeah, that is a bit concerning. I don't know if the Minnesota defense is good or not yet, based on who they played. But I imagine... I think the Browns win this game, but there's definitely going to be some weird shit in this game. This is going to be the game that ends whoever has the ball last, and the quarterback's going to have an opportunity to win the game, and they're going to throw a pick, whether it's Baker or Kirk Cousins. And I say that full well knowing it's going to end up being Baker, and I'm going to feel like a schmuck for picking Cleveland to win the game. But, hey, that that that's the rules. And every time I've talked about the Browns, I just talk about how much I love their defensive personnel. I mean, you got Garrett, Clowney... You got Greg Newsom, you got uh, Denzel Ward, John Johnson, Grant Delpit, Owusu Kimura. They've got so many guys on that defense I I like because they are genuinely good. And that defense still has to figure it out against non-Justin Fields offenses. Because last week, the, you can't really evaluate how the Browns' defense played on last week because the Bears just outright did not have a functional offense, which is a problem. This game comes down to the last possession. I think the over is tantalizing here. Uh, let me check what the number is. Hang on, hang on, hang 51 and a half. A little high, a little bit high. You're expecting a game somewhere around 28, 23, something like that. That's not... Some 28-25, somewhere in that ballpark with the implied math that I'm too lazy to do right now. But you're expecting a game in the mid-20s with the 51.5 over. That might be a little bit high for me. Maybe you can tease that over, get it down to 44.5, and, and that's a whole lot more tantalizing. But that probably is the best game of the 1 o'clock games. Um, Browns-Bears, uh, Browns Bears, Browns-Vikings, I'm thinking about last week. Now, in the shitty column, uh, Tennessee and the Jets. I know Tennessee might not have either of their wide receivers, but the Jets got shut out last week. Uh, this number keeps moving in the Jets' direction. It opened at 7.5. It's down to 6.5 in some places, depending on where you look. I think this is the easy teaser of the week. You just tease Tennessee down to a half, and you use them with someone else you like. You get a little bit better value. 
Might end up doing that, might not. Depends. See, I'll, see. I'll I'll converse. I'll I'll talk to some other people, get some ideas. But if Tennessee doesn't win this game against the Jets team that just can't score, and yes, I know Tennessee might be the absolute worst defense in the entire league. I mean, they've been getting carved up all over the place, and to some degree, it doesn't matter because they can score. But that is incumbent upon AJ Brown and Julio Jones being able to play. And right now, it seems like that's in somewhat doubt because. They've both been limited during the week in practice, which is a major concern. Derrick Henry's still healthy, though. I don't know if anyone on the Jets can tackle Derrick Henry. Maybe Quinn Williams, maybe C.J. Mosley, but other than them, if Henry gets to the secondary, this might be the 50-point Derrick Henry fantasy week that makes everybody who's playing against him want to have a... make everybody who is playing against him want to gargle Drano, to quote the great Tony Soprano. Might be a little bit frustrating, to say the least, if you are a Jet fan watching Derrick Henry truck through guys to the second level of the defense. Poop Fecta-wise, Jets-Titans, this game is not going to be particularly good. It might end up on red zone maybe five times for all the scoring plays. For the Jets, break 10. I'm not saying win the game if you're the Jets, but... Score a touchdown, get a field goal, get a defensive touchdown, a special teams touchdown, something. You can't get under 10 points two weeks in a row in the NFL. Like, I know, I know you're missing your best player in Mekhi Becton. I know Zach Wilson's a rookie. I know your play caller, Mike LaFleur, is a rookie play caller. I know Robert Sala is a rookie game manager as a head coach. Break 10 points, please. That's all I'm asking if I'm the Jeff, if I'm a Jeff fan. I know I'm not going to beat Tennessee. Tennessee will win that division. Tennessee could win that division at like 7-10 and 10, the way Indianapolis is playing so far. Continuing down the line here, the Bears hosting the Lions. The Lions, the Detroit Lions are a road favorite. Excuse me, I wrote that down in my notes. I was going to say, I double-checked myself because that sounded stupid. And then I remember, no, I was talking to myself about this during the week because I'm going to end up betting the Lions and hate myself because I actually bet legal U.S. currency on the Lions. But the Bears don't have an offense right now. You saw what they did last week against the Browns. They do not know what to do with Justin Fields. Sure, maybe Matt Nagy can figure it out. But Detroit's played all three of their games tough. They've gone down to the wire. They've get, they gave Green Bay a half. They took the Ravens down to the wire. They took San Francisco down to the wire. That's more than I can say about how the Bears have played through three weeks. And if the Bears lose this game, it's not impossible Matt Nagy gets fired. That, that alone might be incentive enough for you to bet Detroit because you get to double up on the fun of getting rid of a bad coach who makes every single Bears game miserable, maybe, maybe. Also, in the poop factor, don't worry, I did not forget, I did not forget about the New York football giants who are going to New Orleans to play the first game in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome since Hurricane Ida, since the Saints have played a home game. Remember, the Saints played a home game in Jacksonville and been on the road the previous two games. The Giants are broken. Uh, they lost to Atlanta last week, and Atlanta looked like the worst team in, ba- in baseball, the worst team in football for quite a while. And I don't trust Joe Judge. I don't trust Jason Garrett. It looks like Sterling Shepard is not going to be able to go. He did not practice on Thursday. Darius Slayton, also doubtful for Sunday. 
Kenny Galladay is obviously playing injured with a hip problem. Evan Ingram is Evan Ingram. Do, do I need to say anymore? Kadarius Toney has five targets the entire season. Unless Jason Garrett realizes he might get fired and starts being a little bit more ballsy, they're probably screwed. The Saints have an amazing defense, which leads me to believe the Giants are going to continue to have a dink and dunk offense, which is going to stall in the red zone because the Saints have good corners, good safeties, a good pass rush. You know, the Saints have a good defense. And the Giants have a good offensive tackle in Andrew Thomas and not the worst quarterback in football in Daniel Jones. That's about all I can say about the Giants offense right now because it is just that pitiful to watch. And you can't trust Judge to make the right decision in crucial situations because he's he's a coward. He coaches not to lose. He's going to justify it by saying, I'd rather play field position. Someone asked Joe Judge how many possessions you get in an NFL game. Ask him how many of those possessions you think you need to score. Because you need to score more than three of the possessions you have in a game. Yes, I know. The drive stalled out because they took penalties and a sack and they had to kick a field goal. If you only score on three possessions in an NFL football game, you are going to lose 80% of the time. Unacceptable to score on only three possessions in an entire game. When the league has literally... Never been more conducive to passing offense. The only way the Giants can win this game is if Jameis has a 30-30 club game where he throws like four picks. But they've intentionally been minimizing his usage. He only has 65, 64 pass attempts. He's only had 21 pass attempts in each of the previous three games. or 21 or less pass attempts in each of the previous three games. They're trying to limit his workload. They're running Alvin Kamara between the tackles more. They're trying to lighten what Jameis is responsible for to make his life easier. And so far, it's been fine. I think the Saints can win this game purely on talent. I know this is the NFL where they pay for play and all that, but I think the Saints can easily handle this one. The worst game, to me... Indianapolis going to Miami. Miami's a point-and-a-half favorite. Kobe Brissett versus Carson Wentz. Um, both of these quarterbacks stink. Both of these teams' offenses stink. Both of these teams' defense are decent. I don't hate their defenses. This is going to be an ugly football game. I think this is a textbook under you use in a tease. Maybe just bet the under outright. Neither of these teams could move the ball on offense last week. Maybe another week of practice helps, but Wentz is playing with the two bum ankles, and Jacoby Brissett is extremely limited as a quarterback, so I'm not expecting a ton from either of them. I, I'm not expecting a ton from either of them. It's either this game or Tennessee and the Jets, which ends up on red zone the least. It's going to be a fun tally to keep track of, but I think this game easily has the potential for lowest scoring of the entire day. Because both of these offenses look totally non-functional the last time we saw them. And I know I'm saying that about a Miami team that went to overtime with the Raiders last week. I do know they went to overtime. Not once did I think Miami was ever going to win that game. Because I just don't trust Jacoby Brissett to make the plays requisite to win an NFL game. Two games left on the docket. I think this might be the one. Pittsburgh going to Green Bay. Green Bay is a six and a half point favorite. I think this is the game we bury Big Ben officially. If Pittsburgh loses this game big, I think this might be a, all right, we got to go to Mason Rudolph or to Dwayne Haskins if we want to save our season type game because 
Flat out, flat out, Big Ben cannot efficiently move the ball anymore. He just can't. At one point in the game last week against the Bengals, Roethlisberger was 15 of 24 for 98 yards. Yes, he broke 300 yards passing last week. He also had 50 pass attempts. Six yards per attempt is flat out not good enough for the NFL today. And I know Green Bay's defense is nothing to write home about. San Francisco was able to move the ball reasonably well against them on Sunday Night Football last week. But come on now. Let, let, let's be reasonable here. Green Bay is going to be able to do what they want, more or less, on offense. That Pittsburgh defense has looked pretty mediocre since week one against Buffalo. Yes, I understand T.J. Watt was out the last two games. He might be able to play this week. It's undetermined. It's pretty sure he's going to play, but not 100% positive yet. So, got to see there. But I think Green Bay wins this game. Six and a half is a little bit of a big number. Seven, a little bit. depending. It's six and a half or seven, depending where you look. Easy. Easy tease number. I have this in a teaser. I will give it to you in a minute. X's and O's wise, I'll be curious to see what Pittsburgh does to try and stop that art. Try and stop that Devontae Adams schoolyard football that the Packers are so freaking good at because he has the best release in football off the line of scrimmage. Pittsburgh needs to get their pass rush going. I'll be curious to see. If they put J.J. Watt on the side where David Bakhtiari would be playing, even though Bakhtiari is out, trying to attack a backup at that position, it's possible. Again, I think this is the, all right, the Steelers need to go to their backup game, even though I heard more than one person in legacy media today. I heard Dan Patrick say it. I heard Michael Wilbon say, well, let's not rush to bury Big Ben. Well, this isn't just three games of Big Ben being bad. This is the playoff game against the Browns last year. And every game after that Wednesday game against the Ravens where Roethlisberger was pretty awful, where he was unable to throw the ball more than 10 yards down the field. The the Steelers have one pass attempt of more than 20 yards down the field in three games. Chase Claypool is questionable. Deontay Johnson should be healthy enough to play, but not 100%. Juju Smith-Schuster, also on the injury report. Not 100% receiving core. Throw a touchdown to Pat Fryer-Moose, and I won't slander you as much, Big Ben. I'll say that much. I can say that much. So we're at 40 minutes now. Uh, the only game I haven't talked about yet is the Sunday Night Football game, the game I opened the show with, Tom Brady's return to Foxborough as a Buccaneer. You know, hello, it's me, Bill. Yeah, Tom, yeah. I think the storylines are more interesting than the actual game itself. Uh, New England's offense has been horrendous through three games. Mac Jones might have the fewest turnovers of all the rookie quarterbacks, but he's throwing less than eight yards per attempt. I think he's somewhere in the sevens. Their offense hasn't been able to move the ball dynamically at all. James White is out for the rest of the season, so there goes their passing down back. Going to be more reliant on Damian Harris, Brandon Bolden, and Ramondre Stevenson, none of which have impressed that much so far. Harris has been fine. As a Damian Harris fantasy owner, I wish he was more than fine. I thought New England was supposed to have a good offensive line. It's all I heard all offseason. They haven't really been able to run the ball that efficiently. They haven't been able to push the ball down the field. Defenses can start to cheat up down towards the line of scrimmage. And yes, Tampa Bay's defense has not looked great. Dallas cut them up pretty bad. The Rams cut them up pretty bad. I want to see a bloodbath. One way or another, 
I want to see one team beat the crap out of each other purely for the jokes on Twitter. I want to see people calling Bill Belichick a senile senior citizen or telling Big Ben to move over in the coffin because Brady's got to get in with him. That's what I want. I want slander no matter what because the Patriot dynasty, while as a football nerd, I can appreciate the Patriot dynasty. It was fucking annoying having the Patriots be in the AFC title game every single year of my uh, my life, basically. I can't even say my adolescence, my childhood, my adult life. They made something like 13, 12 NFC, AFC title games, which is just flat-out ridiculous. Now, in this game, it opened at 5.5 in favor of Tampa Bay. It is up to 7. Teaser. This is a teaser number. I might bet seven outright because I don't think New England's going to be able to score enough. And yes, Tampa Bay's offense has some kinks to work out. They cannot run the ball at all. They do not have a functional running game. Neither Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette has been able to run between the tackles. Giovanni Bernard had a decent game against the Rams as the passing down back. But if they can only pass, I want to see the game plan from Belichick. That is the one X's and O's storyline I am actually interested in. Because the, in, the off-the-field stuff is more interesting. The relationship between Belichick and Brady, Kraft and Brady, Kraft and Belichick. That stuff is more interesting to me than the X's and O's because Tampa is such a better team, talent-wise. I mean, the Patriots went out and spent a bazillion dollars in free agency because Belichick knew they didn't have any talent. They signed two receivers, two tight ends. They signed Judon as an edge rusher. Belichick was trying to band-aid up a team that had, like, no talent last year. That'll be the thing for New England here. I want to see the game plan. Nobody has better game plans than Bill Belichick. We saw Belichick break Sean McVay's brain in the Super Bowl. What was that? Three years ago, four years ago now. We saw that defense break. Break what got the Rams to the Super Bowl. So I'll be very curious to see... What New England does on defense. That, I think, will be the interesting subplot because I don't think New England's offense can be able to do that much. I know New England's defense hasn't looked... Excuse me. I know Tampa Bay's defense has not looked great so far this year. But New England's offense stinks. So that might be the the movable force meeting the unstoppable object. That might be what we're looking at in terms of the New England offense versus the Tampa defense. But the other side of the ball is where the intrigue will come in for me as an X's and O's guy. I will be sure to be paying full attention so that the next time we talk, I have notes to point out specific things I found interesting about how New England approached playing defense. So I've got one, two, three, four picks here for you guys. Number one, I said it before, the Baltimore Ravens minus one. On the road at the Denver Broncos. Green Bay and the Buccaneers. We're going to tease Green Bay down to half a point. We're going to tease the Buccaneers down to one point. Minus 134 odds on that teaser. My next one, another teaser. The Tennessee Titans down from six and a half to a half and then the Dolphins and Colts under 48 and a half is our tease minus 134 on the value and then our last one there weren't any money line dogs where the value was intriguing to me 
The only one I thought about was Minnesota against the Browns, but this one is three teams I cannot imagine losing in a money line parlay. And yes, I know I sound like Big Cat touting the can't lose parlay. The Rams, the Chiefs, and the Saints, plus 148. The Rams are the team that messed this up. I don't think Sean McVay's losing to Cliff Kingsbury. Come on, you see Cliff Kingsbury. That guy's not smart. Come on now. Those are our picks for the week. I hope everybody enjoys the football. I hope you enjoy your college football. Don't forget tonight, Iowa-Maryland. Very good college football game for a Friday night you get to start with. Next, Saturday, it's the three games between two ranked teams. Wisconsin-Michigan might determine who wins the Big Ten West. Sunday, Brady goes back to Foxborough, and we are going to talk all about it on Monday. I cannot wait to see you guys then. Have a good one.